Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight webinar. My name is Andrew Krauss and I co-founded InventRight with successful inventor Stephen Key over 20 years ago and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors ever since. You can see our pictures on the left there. We have a very special guest tonight. We have Rich Mazel. He is Senior Director of Product Acquisition for Hasbro Toys, one of the largest toy companies in the world. Welcome, Rich. Hey, Andrew. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me, and thanks, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Wow. I'm, I'm so happy because I started my career in the toy industry, and I'm back talking about toys. And thank you very much, Rich, for coming on. Yeah, you worked for a legend, David Small, right? Who's still uh, still at it today. Well, yes, David Small, he was my um, my boss at Worlds of Wonder, where we launched Teddy Ruxpin Laser Tag, and he took this this guy that didn't really know what he was doing, and he taught me the ropes, and I could not thank David Small enough. And I know he's a, um, he stayed in the industry, and he's doing extremely well. He's one of the top toy inventors, I think, in the world at this time. Oh, absolutely. Did uh, Hatchimals recently, and then we recently relaunched uh, Laser Tag as well, too. So it's still still alive and well. That's amazing. Um, Andrew, let's start out. Um, let's talk about Rich for a minute. And how did how did he get in this game of toys? So, Rich, talk about a little bit of your background, and then let's talk about Hasbro. But first of all, how do you become like the guy? that looks at all these toys. I mean, how do you do that? You know, it's a funny question, and I've been asked that a lot. A lot of times we do um, speeches in front of college students, and I remember a kid, this was in uh, London, and he raised his hand at the end of my speech, and he said, you know, how did you get involved with that? Because that's not really a job. <laughs> and I said, I assured you, a bunch of people were laughing. I said, I assure you it's a job. I actually do this for a living and I get paid for it. And uh, it's kind of interesting because there's not, as you can imagine, there's not a whole lot of people that travel around the world and just look at toys. It's pretty a pretty incredible job. Um, so my journey was one of passion. You know, I, I have an MBA in finance from Notre Dame, which a lot of people don't know. And I started working for Deloitte and Touche as a consultant, and I was in the real estate finance industry. And um, while I liked it, I, it just didn't fulfill my passion. And I was always an inventor, always writing things down in my invention journal. And I kind of looked out the window, and um, I tell the story too that my the partner came to me and he said, "Rich, you're on the fast track. You know, in 15 years, you're going to be me." And I looked at him and I was like, whoa, like um, he, he probably thought that was the best thing in the world. And I was thinking, gosh, I, I got to figure something else out. So I, I started pitching my own inventions and much like new inventors, got lots of rejection letters from uh, Ford and Anheuser-Busch, I remember, and a few callbacks as well. And I was lucky enough to, when I moved to Los Angeles, meet David Fuhrer. Great inventor, licensed hundreds of items, including the Vortex football for Nerf. And he took me under his wing and we started inventing together. And at the same time, uh, Bakugan was taking off for Spin Master toys. And the LA office for Spin Master went from four people to 250 people almost overnight. And they said, would you like to, you like invention, you like people or whatever, would you like to talk to these guys? And I tell people, yeah, absolutely, you know, absolutely. And I went from wearing suits and ties to 
riding skateboards down the hallway in shorts and t-shirts. And that was about 10 years ago. And um, I haven't looked back and I don't touch my financial calculator much anymore. You know, from finance to toys, Andrew, I, I didn't, um, that's qu quite a jump. Um, Rich, talk, let's talk a little bit about Hasbro because they've been around for forever. They're the, the, the big player. I mean, they've got these, these toys, these evergreen toys that have been around forever. So please, let's talk a little bit about the history of Hasbro, if you would. Yeah, and the history of Hasbro really connects with inventors along the way, too. So Hasbro, you know, our first inventor item that we signed, I wasn't there, uh, but was Mr. Potato Head, which was the first toy that was ever advertised on TV as well. And um, we also started acquiring, you know, Parker Brothers and some of these other companies. Odds On was brought in uh, to us as well. So we started acquiring things like Monopoly as well, um, uh, Operation as a classic. So we, a lot of our inventions go back a long way. And we're still paying the family of Monopoly too, the Darrow family. Charles Darrow was the inventor. Interesting story about Charles Darrow is that when he submitted Monopoly, I'm told that he got a letter back from Parker Brothers at the time, and it was a rejection, but it also cited 52 fundamental gameplay errors with the play. And I'm glad I'm not that guy. I don't know who that was that wrote that letter, uh, but basically they said it was too long, too many pieces, uh, it was just too complicated. So Charles went out and sold the game himself, and built up quite a following. And then the uh, Parker Brothers came and uh, asked for it back and obviously paid a higher premium than they would have paid if they would have you know, purchased it the first time. And then they looked past the 52 errors and uh, it's been going uh, like gangbusters. And as you can see, we're doing lots of different variations. We've, we're getting a lot of press. We did one, uh, Miss Monopoly came out uh, within the last few months. The Cheaters edition is interesting. We, we got the um, insight that most people thought their family members were cheating at the game. So we said, why don't we make it a part of it? And uh, there's some handcuffs in there too. So if your aunt get, gets caught cheating, she actually gets thrown in the handcuffs. So um, yeah, so, you know, inventions all the way back then, Furby's a, uh, was a big one for us, Bop It, which I think we'll talk about later. Um, most of our games actually come from outside inventors, even today. I think uh, two years ago, I think 80% of our new games, uh, Don't Step In It from Don Ullman, um, and a bunch from Steve Fink of Bang Zoom. So a lot of our games and toys still still come from inventors. Wonderful. So what do you have for us tonight? Um, Rich, what would you like to talk about? Well, I, I just um, one of the things. Let me just set up why, what you know, why I'm here. Obviously, I've been been aware of uh, of your work and your books and and great article in Forbes with uh, John Frascati from the other day. Uh, so thank you for that. And I just um, you came at the perfect time because we're obviously dealing with a lot of creative people stuck at home. And if you're anything like me and you've got this AD, ADHD inventor mind, uh, your mind is going crazy right now and thinking of new things that you're frustrated in the kitchen or whatever. And I'm always interested in talking to people from other industries. We've got a good handle on toy inventors. We have about 250 global toy inventors that we work with. 
Uh, but I'd like to see innovators from other areas because one, they may have come up with a solution for a different area. So for example, we go to Israel a lot for uh, defense technology, um, technology and uh, medical technology. And we recently had a game that the breakthrough that we found in Israel was a very, very low power and low price lie detector. So then we took that technology and we actually released a game uh, several months ago called Lie Detector. And I think it's been on Jimmy Fallon and a few other places. So we know, we know the value of sort of uh, co-mingling with these other industries. By the way, that game really works. And it's the reason why I won't have it in my house. That is a functioning lie detector in that for, for uh, $19. Now, Rich, wait a minute. You're telling us that you're opening the doors for non-toy inventors, and you call it like the wild card, right? I mean, that's really crazy because it used to be kind of, you know, you had to be in, you know, you had to be kind of have a relationship, but you're telling me you're looking for ideas from anybody? Yeah, you used to have to be kind of one of the, the it was very much an old boys club. And, um, you know, that's part of the problem. We want to see diversity. That's why we travel all over the globe. We want to see people with different insights and different ways of looking at things. So a couple things. One, people may have come up with, uh, we like to go to like the candy show and the hardware show where we can and see yes, because someone may have come up with a solution and we can look at it through the lens of a toy in a game, just like the lie detector there. And then secondly, is that these are creative people. So if you work for Ford or Chrysler or whatever in their innovation group or Nike, um, you're an innovative person and we can teach you about toys just like I'm sure you've done as far as coaching. And um, generally, uh, you know, with toys, the one constraint that we have more than other industries is price point. And we have to get kind of 80% of the magic for 20% of the cost. And that's kind of the real key uh, but last year, I, I challenged my team to come up with wildcards. So when we have our inventor events, I tell them each, you got five wildcards. You got to get people in here that I wouldn't expect. And we've had rocket scientists. We've had uh, a shadow puppet artist, uh, people who have given <laughs> TED Talks, things like that. And because we want to see those, those, uh, those different insights for sure. Wonderful. Uh, Rich, I got a question for you on the pricing. What about it? What's the range? What's the what's the lowest price product that you sell, and what's the highest price? I guess that would Gosh, be a good you know, lowest lowest price collectibles is probably our lowest price stuff um, right now, and that would be probably two ninety nine and three ninety nine. Our highest price point, we are actually having some success on um, these these um, expensive like Star Star Wars Darth Vader helmets, very realistic gauntlet. From, uh, from Marvel and Avengers of the Universe. So we've, we're having some success up there and we can go as high. We did a special edition, a Jabba the Hutt sail barge that was $500, but that was outside of retail. Inside of retail, our probably sweet spot is probably somewhere between 20 and $30. Um, some of our Nerf blasters go a little bit over 100. Some of our animatronics go up to maybe about 70 or so. Um, so that's kind of the range, and it depends on you know all over the world too. You know, South America, um, other uh, emerging markets and stuff. We have to think about innovation and lower price points, and so we have a whole portfolio of those. Hey, Rich, I've got a question. Um, 
when I submit an idea to Hasbro, does it have to be like this perfect working model? Can I fake it a little bit? <clears throat> I mean, I mean that's you... interesting. That's interesting. Now, Andrew, I've got a I've got a video that I sent you. If you could if you could yeah. pull it up, this might be a good time. And then you know what? You only need to show um, you know a little bit of it, and then maybe I'll chime in right after the video. But what's great about this video, just to set it up is most of the things, so I see 3,500 new concepts a year, and most of the things I see, uh, obviously we have to keep confidential. But this one, I've talked to the inventor, Dan Klitzner of Boppet. Since the toy has already come out, he's allowed me to show the video. So I think it's really, um, it'll be really eye-opening for people to see what, you know, I see 3,500 things uh, a year, but inventors don't know, like, what, what kind of level do people pitch things at? And it's all over the board. And this is a good example of that. So Rich said we only need to watch about half of this, guys. It's fun, so pay attention. Here we go. This is the new game from KID, Bop It, where you try to pull it, twist it, or bop it as fast as you can without getting caught. So here's our demo. Ready? Bop it. there rich <laughs> well and that's and that's what i want to show people because i don't want people to be intimidated now certainly i have seen hundred thousand dollar animatronic uh prototypes before but, but as you can tell that one's just a foam core with some stickers out of it and he's got a buddy off stage that's um faking the sounds and there's so much that i love about this video is that one um you know that he spent less than a dollar on the prototype Two, it was actually a failed TV remote control. He was, um, this is Dan Klitzner of Klitzner Industrial Design out of San Francisco. And he came up with three remote controls that were novelties. One was the shape of a pizza, which I think I remember actually, um, you know, back in the day. Um, the other two sold to the electronics company, and this was the third one. So the two parts of the hammer were actually channel up, channel down. The twist it was volume and the pulling was on and off. And he got, he, it got rejected nine times. So this is always a good lesson for inventors. One, uh, you never know about timing. Um, two is that you can pivot. So he took some advice is that somebody said, you know, hey, that, that kind of feels like a game that you're playing. And he started pitching it and he pitched it <clears throat> uh, into, I believe, uh, uh, Parker Brothers uh, back at the, t uh, at the time. And uh, it sold hundreds of millions of units since. Um, at the end of the video, it's kind of funny because he has this uh, uh, this soundtrack of Homer Simpson going, Dum! and he came full circle. It was actually written into a Simpsons episode. And uh, this inventor met Matt Groening and told him he was the inventor of Bop at, and they had a big laugh about it. So I like that about it. It's like, I, I tell new inventors, a lot of times, if you can't convince me for a thousand bucks, you're probably not going to convince me with spending a hundred thousand um, oh. dollars. Like this got the concept over 
Um, it looked fun. It looked interesting. And then we can always co-create and co-develop too and help fund some of that as well too. So don't, I, I wouldn't go crazy on prototypes just enough to show, uh, show the concept for sure. So don't you love that, Stephen? I mean, this is what we've been teaching for 20 years. I love yeah, it. it's music to my ears, Andrew. And what I do like about it, um, there's some magic to this. It's really fun. And it's, it's just a little video. How important are videos, Rich? I mean, this is, um, is that the, the most important part of it now is having a prototype you can touch a feeler doing a little video to show the product what do you like to I, see? I, I believe sizzle videos are absolute number one you know dan actually still to this day fakes his first versions just to make sure that he gets um interest from us but what I like about videos is we're, we're traveling all over the globe all of the time. And if we want to get sort of this consistent sort of message and story about this item to an executive, say John Frascotti that you interviewed the other day, if he's on the other side of the, the planet, it's great to um, be able to show him the video because it's very consistent. It tells the story. It works every time which um, as we all know with prototypes, you know, prototypes don't have a tendency when they get in the hands of an inventor relations person to somehow <laughs> malfunction at their biggest <laughs> moment. So, I, you know, I tell people it, you're telling a story too. So, right. you, you know, get people excited about it. The Kickstarter has taught us that a minute long video can raise $20 million. That's how powerful video making and storytelling is. So it, I don't it, it shows the, the player, the fun factor of it too, which with a static image on a cell sheet, you, you can't show. Exactly. It, get, it gives it personality for sure. Yeah. So Rich, do I have to do a high production video? Or can I do it with my cell phone? And should I tell you about my family and how I invented it? And go <laughs> on and on? I mean, what would yeah, you like so to keep Keep it short, short, short. Um, so just for a little bit of taste, I talked to the head that, that does all of our commercials. And he said, geez, Rich, you know, our industry's changed so much. I was, used to do 60, 60 second spots for commercials. Then I did 30 second spots. Then I did 15 second spots. And he goes, right now, because of, you know, being between YouTube videos and that kind of stuff or on Facebook, He's doing six second videos. So quite often I, you know, I get from inventors, sometimes new inventors will say, well, I can't communicate this in 30 seconds. And, you know, usually my response is, well, how are we supposed to communicate it in seven seconds or 15 seconds or whatever? You, you have to be able to, you can shoot it with your um, iPhone. That's perfectly acceptable. I tell people little tips. Um, two years ago, I had our, the people who do our commercials come in and teach the inventors how to shoot with an iPhone, very cheap lighting, a tripod. There's some just some basics of filming that have come further than this. This is 20 years old. People have gotten a little you know, better at producing videos and editing them. So what I tell people is just use these basic tips. You don't need a super expensive camera, but let's put it on a tripod so it's not moving all around. Let's edit it so it has an intro, it has a story, beginning and end, and some good music. Um, and those are simple and cheap things to do. Uh, remember, when I'm showing these things back to my executives back at Hasbro, it could be shown in a meeting with 40 or 50 other concepts. 
So if they're having fun while watching yours, you might wake somebody up too and just be like, whoa, what was that? And um, it, it, means, uh, it means a lot. So if, if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube. There's tons of tutorials. Again, don't buy a $4,000 camera and lighting setup or whatever. There's some real basic things you can do to create nice videos. So Rich, um, a lot of inventors are a little scared of showing their ideas. Okay, so what do you tell the people that are a little bit frightened? Do they Should they run out and file a patent? Um, I mean, how do you handle the intellectual property and how do you settle them down? So first of all, with any new inventors, we're going to have a confidentiality agreement, and it's a two-way agreement, one that obviously I can't tell anybody outside of Hasbro or people that we work with about your concept, and two, we're probably going to be telling you some key things. We might be telling you strategic initiatives for, say, Nerf in the next couple of years. We may be telling you things about movies that are coming out in the future, so it's kind of a two-way track um, with inventors. Um, also, you know, just do do your research. The major companies, you know, if you look at Mattel and Spin Master and, and us and Moose, um, we have very good reputations with inventors. Uh, if we didn't, the inventor community would completely dry up. So one, it's the right thing to do, but two, it'd be horrible business um, uh, to not treat the inventor community fairly. So that's one of, one of the things. Um, I, I have with new inventors, I have had people come in and they didn't want to show me their concept. And I kind of scratched my head because it's like, who are you waiting to tell? Because if it's a toy, like I'm the guy to tell, um, you know, I, like I worry sometimes and it happens a lot with inventors that maybe only have one idea. It's so precious to them. They don't want to, they don't want to let it out of their mouths. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I always worry a little bit about those people that they're going to die with their idea rather than having it out there. I was the opposite. When I first started pitching, I showed everybody and anybody. And what I was even okay with, I said, geez, even if I get knocked off here at the beginning, I'll be able to put that on my resume. Like that was my idea or whatever. So-and-so knocked it off or whatever. I thought that that would be a step <laughs> in legitimacy. But to be honest, it doesn't happen very often, especially when you're dealing with the major companies. Mm -hmm. Also, just do your research. I'm sure you guys have gone through this or chat boards or whatever about, um, you know, brokers. There's brokers that we trust. And, um, yeah, just make sure you're dealing with, um, you know, people okay. that um, have done that before and have good reputations. Rich, we got a whole do bunch of questions on this topic. Go ahead, Stephen. Sorry. Now, one last question. Do I have to file a patent? Well, here's the thing. So, um, disclaimer, legal disclaimer. I will not uh, offer legal advice, but here's here's my practical thought of from the business side. I mean, I looked at it. I had a book of a hundred ideas and concepts. You know, what am I going to do? I'm going to go broke if I want to patent all these. So, um, two things. One, you you don't really a patent to me tells you that it's novel and unique. <clears throat> what you really want to know, is it marketable? That's much more important than saying, geez, no one's ever done this before. Like no one's ever done a race car that looks like a purple pig or whatever. Well, maybe that's because it's a bad idea. So you want to test whether it's marketable. In this business, especially when you have a lot of ideas, it would be difficult to patent everything. We can actually help with the patent process. First of all, at Hasbro, if we like the concept. 
And to be quite frank, most of the ideas we see, I would say 95% of the ideas we see are not patented. And we will likely not patent most of them because the toy cycle is probably 18 months and your toy may be on and off the shelf and sold well uh, before the patent is uh, is granted. So that's that's my personal take on it. Obviously, you got to talk with your own attorneys. If you have a special idea, there are times that I've told inventors, wow, I've never seen that core technology. You might want to think about patenting it. But in most cases, um, you don't need it in the toy industry. Rich, I got a related question from Maria here. What about copyright or trademarks? Yeah, crap, copyrights and trademarks can be uh, quite good, and they're they're cheaper and easier to get. Um, one really good example of this is Pie Face. So Pie Face was uh, became the best selling game of all time for us a few years back. It outsold Monopoly, one of the versions of Monopoly over a 12 month period. So best selling game over a 12 month period. We were selling one every six seconds or something like that. Um, and what happened was we didn't realize it. We we had seen it from the inventor several times, passed on it. I was part of passing on it five times. Uh, the feedback from the groups was always, this is a game where if you guys don't know it, you, you basically get hit with whipped cream. And that's the big, uh, that's the big payoff. And um, so everybody said, oh, no, it's too messy. Mom won't like it, all of that. But then a viral video hit of a grandfather playing it with his son, I think, over in England. And it went crazy. It went viral. So we went and we licensed it within two days and licensed the video and all of that kind of stuff. And um, someone sent us an email two days later and it said, Rich and Dougal, have you, have you seen this? Question mark. And it was a link to a YouTube video. So we pressed play and it was Pie Face from Hasbro from 1963, which we had <laughs> no idea that we did it um, before that it was our game. Um, but it didn't really matter at this point because this guy had locked up the trademark. We had let it lapse. So he had the trademark to Pie Face. He had the tooling. And and honestly, it's it's all fair because he was the one who built up the uh, the audience. And that audience on Pie Face was incredible because 65% of the people that played it shared it socially. So that got us another 6 billion wow. views. So, um, but so in that case, a great, great idea to, to lock up the, you know, the trademarks and that kind of stuff. Um, and that, there's a little bit lower barrier to entry on the trademark. But people, when they come in with a name, it's quite often not the case that we use it. In this case, obviously we wanted to use Pie Face to play off of all the millions of views. Um, but in most cases, when an inventor brings a name, it usually gets changed <clears throat> changed into the process to something else. Okay, Rich, let's talk about the wow factor, the big, the payoff. I mean, how important is that to, uh, to Hasbro to have a toy that has that? Huge, um, it's it. It's, um, you know, a good toy. The question people ask me a lot, like, how do you know a good toy? <laughs> Um, and it's kind of like a good joke or a good magic trick, right? A, a good magic trick kind of leads you down a path like, okay, so I see a car, right? So I'm in a meeting. I've seen 40,000 um, individual toy and game pitches. Okay, I can probably imagine some things, right? It's going to transform, right? We've seen that before. Um, you know, maybe it turns into a plane or something like that. Okay, I could, I could imagine that. But like a magic trick... 
it's that time that you see the car and wow, I never thought it could do that. And you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's always a good sign if I say, whoa, whoa, go, go, go back. If it's a video, go back. I want to see that again because that means I don't know how you pulled it off and I haven't seen it before. Uh, but it's that moment of a joke, a story. It's the twist. It's the plot twist or the magic trick that really gets us excited. Nice. So I, I want to remind everybody to type your questions into the questions box. And uh, Rich, we have a whole bunch of questions in this vein. How long does the review process take? So when they submit through your portal on your website, how what's what's the average? How long does it take? How does that work? Yeah, and let's let's talk about the website too, because we specifically set up a website over the past few years and spent a lot of time on it um, to help people new to Hasbro and new to Toy Invention. So it's uh, spark.hasbro.com is the address. And right now it's for people who are over 18 inside of the US. We are trying to take that global later this year. Um, so pe uh, please feel free to link it to the show notes or whatever you have here um, uh, for, for people to have as reference. Uh, there, it'll walk you through a submittal. The standard submittal, we always say, oh, there you go, there's Spark. And um, this kind of walks you through the whole process and um, confidentiality agreements and what happens all while using our first inventor item there, Mr. Potato Head. And um, so we say to people usually about 60 days to review. And during that 60 days, one, we just have a lot of stuff that we go through. Um, but the teams, when they see it, they need to, they need to you know, take it back if they like it, brainstorm on it work on things like costing and safety. Costing and safety kind of come first. The reason being is if it fails costing or if it fails safety, then we could just kick it out of the process. There's no reason to waste any more time on design and development. So um, that's what's usually typically done during that first 60 day period. Hey Rich, how, let's talk about costing for just a minute. Um, Let's say I'm new to the industry and I'm not, you know, I don't understand manufacturing, you know, material or the process. Uh, is it important for me to know that? So when I send something to you, uh, I have a good idea it's going to hit a certain price point. If I just give it to you, will you guys figure out or redesign it? Yeah. So, you know, typically, I, I mean, I like it when an inventor's been thinking about cost. Um, that's always a nice sign. But to be honest, we don't we we take those uh, with a grain of salt because we have our own relationships in Hong Kong and our own volumes and the millions and millions, um, as you can imagine. So our costing is going to be drastically different than if you got say one or ten LEDs. We're going to be buying you know 100 million LEDs. So what's better for us is just kind of a bill of materials um, oh. is what we call it, and just call out, hey, this is how many. LEDs we have in it, this is how many motors, this is the type of motor that we have. Um, and that will give us a rough idea. And then you're right, we can and often do, we will redesign it based on our knowledge of getting you know, the performance and price point right. So you don't have to worry too much um, about costing. That's kind of, that's kind of more in our, um, in our arena. But a, a list of material. Hey, Rich, tell me who's in the, who does the evaluation? Is it just you or do you bring in other people from other parts of the company, maybe someone in sales or marketing? I mean, how does it all work? So me and my team are kind of like the first line of defense or the first line of review. 
And so we're the ones that are seeing all the 3,500 concepts and working for me are heads of uh, toy acquisition and certain brands, also games acquisition. We've also had tech acquisition in the past as well too. And we do, um, we do work with um, scouts and brokers uh, kind of around the world. We take the first cut and the first cut is based on just one, our knowledge of having seen 40,000 ideas in the past and working with all of these brand teams every day. So you got to remember when we take back those 40 things, now these are the things that we like. So that we become kind of the inventor that's pitching the concept to our brand teams. And um, they're, they're more than honest with us. And they're, um, so we, we start to learn and hone in on what they're gonna like and what they're not gonna like. But when we bring it back, uh, so my team is um, you're a relatively small team. We've got about six or seven uh, people full time. And what we do is we bring these concepts back to Hasbro. We're pitching the brand teams, and then we're also pitching the executives, the concepts. So they're kind of the, the, the second cut. I like it. I like that you're selling it for the inventor, aren't you? That's right. And what's interesting is they're even more uh, brutally honest with us because they don't they don't necessarily everyone on the brand team doesn't know that we saw 3500 ideas. These are our favorites that we bring back. So like when you're in a meeting and you're pitching it, you have to have a thin, uh, thick skin, just like an inventor, because they'll tell you, oh, my gosh, this is awful or whatever. And you're just like, they don't, I don't know if all the time they realize like this is one I'm saying that I really liked. <laughs> So um, yeah, you gotta stay stay humble. I always say focus on the yeses. Somebody said, you know, invention is 99 no's followed by a glorious yes. And um, so I try to put those no's um, behind me as soon as possible, work, work them out with the inventor to improve them. Like in the case of Dan Klitzner, it's all timing. In the case of um, Pieface, rejection five times over uh, seven years. So it's it's all about timing. I I don't think a lot of you know a lot of times a lot of the concepts we see are very good and clever. It's just is it the right time? Is it the right fit mm -hmm. for the brand? You also have internal designers that are cranking on new innovations as well too. So I always take a no as kind of a not yet, not yet, Rich. Mm -hmm. Even though they're not saying that, they are saying no. <laughs> Rich, we have we have students and and uh, viewers and fans from around the world, and we're getting a bunch of questions here, if asking if you need to be a U.S. citizen to use the Spark Innovation Site. Yeah, for now it is, and it's this is just because of um, uh, legal restrictions. So right now it is U.S. only. Um, we are, but we do participate in things. We go to ShyTag uh, is one of the events that we go to. If you're in the UK, we go to the Mojo Nation event in London in fall. Um, hopefully that'll still go on this year. So um, if you can't, uh, if Spark is not available in your region right now, stay tuned. We're going to be turning on the big markets, hopefully this year. The big markets for us being um, Hong Kong, Japan, Israel, uh, uh, the UK, Germany, and a few and a few other places. Um, so, so stay tuned for news on that. Hey, Rich, can you tell me what your wish list is? That's interesting. So, our wish everybody list. Everybody, get well. your pens out. Everybody, get your pens out. <laughs> 
our, our wish list is quite long because we have a lot of brands and we're getting many more brands. As you guys have probably seen, we acquired Power Rangers from Saban um, over the past two years. We just bought E1, which brought us a bunch of preschool stuff, Peppa Pig, PJ Masks, all these. And, um, and uh, amazingly, you know, we have 1500 uh, brands that are sitting on the sidelines, things like GI Joe and Micronauts and all of these things that were uh, looking to bring back. So our wish list is quite extensive. Um, the larger wish list we give to kind of the inventors that we work with and we've licensed things with actively, but I can give you some areas that we're, that we're most interested now. And one of them is um, Play-Doh. So Play-Doh's, um, you know, been the same. By the way, Play-Doh's a good example of looking to other industries. It was a uh, wallpaper cleaner um, when it was first brought over to be used, um, you know, as a, as a toy and activity for us. So um, what we're doing is there was a lot of slimes, gacks, putties, uh, things like that, and these kinetic sands and stuff. But um, many of them were not from the major toy companies. They were kind of from, uh, or through uh, a lot of investigation, we found uh, that they were from three of the same factories in China. And um, they weren't up quite up to the quality. There's also safety concerns with some of these things. So what we decided to do is why not take that and put it under the trusted brand of Play-Doh. Play-Doh's been trusted for you know over 60 years. And let's make the best possible slime, the safest possible slime, um, gacks and putties. So now we have a deal in place with all of that. And you, you'll see stuff on shelf now from, from Play-Doh. What we really need is the toy that goes around that. So how do, we, how do we play with it? How do we do something big and bold? What would look good on TV or a viral video? For, for an example, we, we have a concept that we're working on uh, because slime is conductive. So we've got this little brain that looks kind of like an arachnid or a spider. And when you pour uh, the slime into its head, it makes the connections. And so the thing starts to activate. It's got motors and batteries in there, but the connection of the slime makes it start to go crazy on the desk. And it leaves this trail of slime. And when it runs out of slime, it kind of turns itself off. So that's kind of what we're looking. So we've got these slimes. What, what do you do with them? Is there, is there cool games? You know, Pie Face was one where you kind of hit somebody with slime. So now we're looking for the cool, uh, the cool experience that comes along with those. Um, we're always looking for games. Uh, games are always, you know, a, a, a big, big inventor avenue. Again, what you're talking about is big payoffs. We're in that phase of pie in the face. Um, don't step in it is all about uh, Play-Doh poop that you just don't, you, you, you try to memorize where the poop is on this mat and you put on a blindfold and you try to avoid stepping in the poop. So these big kind of like fun um, uh, social games are, are very popular. Rich, and, let's, let's talk yeah. about poop because poop's been big for a while now. Is poop still hot? <laughs> poop is still hot and this is this is what i'm I sorry i had to tell the joke but it's a big thing no, in the toy business now isn't it no, i have a seven-year-old girl i know it's the it's the moment that um i realize i'm not at deloitte and touche anymore when i start saying well 
you know, I was joking that our intake form should say, you know, does it poop? Yes or no. And if it say no, uh, the next question is, could it poop? Um, because we definitely <laughs> went through this phase of poop. And um, we're still there, but I think a lot of adult card games are very popular right now. I think especially so with us all kind of being locked off and quarantined. But if you look at things, Exploding Kittens is killing it right now. It's the number one game that's out there. It's a card game, um, uh, social adult card games. Cards Against Humanity was huge as well, too. So there's a, it's a little bit of a return to those card games um, as well, but still big payoffs are, are big. So I'd say poop, poop, is, poop is still okay. <laughs> okay. But for those of you who don't have kids, that wasn't a weird question. It's actually a, a it's trend. That's, it has been it, for it is, quite some time. It, it has unicorn poop. Um, you know, our our poop game. There's there's lots lots of them out there. Evan has Evans Evans has a question. We have way too many questions to ever get to. But do you accept educational games? Uh, so I tell people, um, you know, educational sometimes is a little bit of a bad word for, um, for what we do. Now it's okay if kids, the industry got into this whole thing of STEM and STEAM and all that. And I consider myself very geeky. My kids are very geeky and sciencey or whatever, but we are a mass market company that's got to sell everywhere around the globe and appeal to the largest audience. So it's okay if you're learning, but I kind of want it to be hidden. Like uh, Mousetrap is a good example. Mousetrap, you're learning STEM and STEAM, right? You're, you're learning physics and you're learning how to put things together, but it's not hitting you over the head with the fact of like, hey, you're doing homework or this is STEM or STEAM. There are other companies that do do um, more. Uh, Think Fun is a good example for educational games. There are better avenues than Hasbro for pure educational games. Stephen, did you have some more questions? I, we, I don't know if we're ready to jump into Q&A and everything. No, let's do the questions because um, I just could go on forever with Rich here, but I know there's a lot of people that do have questions. So why don't we start with that? Okay. Okay, cool. Um, this one's from Courtney. Um, and she's basically asking, will I hear back even if it's a no? So when, when an inventor submits, um, will they hear back if it's a no? Will they always hear back? They will always hear back and they should. And if they don't, there's avenues on our Spark uh, website to follow up um, with us, but that is part of the process. As you're newer to the system, because we're kind of, um, we're filled up with the professional inventors that we currently work with, it's more difficult to get detailed feedback on Spark um, than if you're working with us actively. But there are many people that sort of graduate from Spark into our active roster, and you would get more, more feedback then. It's just because of the numbers that we see, we're not able to get uh, really detailed on Spark. We'll try as much as possible, but um, you'll, you'll definitely always get an answer. Okay. Well, I thought while we do Q&A, we could look at your office here. It's kind of messy, well, Rich. Well, here's, here's what I wanted <laughs> to show. It's a beautiful mess, and, and, and there was a reason why I wanted to show this and why I do show this. Uh, when I first joined at Hasbro, a lot of the inventor pitches were done in boring, great conference rooms. Uh, the acoustics weren't good. They could have just had a legal or finance meeting in, in that room. And I was just like, you know what, we need to revamp this and we need to make this a fun place that you know when you're coming in there, you're, you're coming in to, to play and collaborate 
and and not just sit back and sort of in back older days there used to be it used to be an inventor and then sort of 10 people kind of just staring at the inventor and staff and i didn't want that i want us to collaborate and play together so that was the reason behind this room and um i everything's here for a reason that chest underneath the 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 tv is our tech box i got the inspiration from ideo so as we travel around the world we pick up toys and games and um, things to fidget with and they're not necessarily things that we want to pitch we just want people having fun in this room again this is all about our brand and our brand is very important when you're in this room you can kind of get a feel you're going to have some fun in here and you're going to you know you're going to play with things on the back wall we'll have our current inventor items that are up there and it just kind of goes to show the brand teams it's like hey the, this is what we're uh, what we're looking for is uh, this is the impact that we have on the business about half of the revenue of hasbro comes from inventor items so it's super important to us on the back side of the wall, we've got um, our big hits like uh, Furby, uh, Boppet, and some of these other ones that are kind of like our you know, Hall of Fame that we're always looking for. And then this is also a place for inventors to come and chill and hang out before presentations and stuff so they don't have to be hustled into a conference room and then quickly pack up their prototypes. There's coffee machines and you know, things to eat and stuff and hang out and printers and all of that kind of stuff. This was actually, this used to be an attorney's uh, office. It was all painted beige. And this was the first meeting we had, a big brainstorm with IDEO. And as you can see, we sort of exercised the demons of, of, uh, of boringness. We, we, we really transplanted this room. And I, I guess it's a lesson to everybody too, is that when you're pitching, your brand is important too, right? So, you know, what you look like, what you act like, what your enthusiasm is. I wanted this room to speak without even saying a word that you're going to you're going to see some fun stuff today and you're going to have fun when you're in this meeting. So, keep in mind that that places can be part of your brand, the way you look, the way you dress, the way you act as you're pitching um can also have a a portion of your brand. I'm a, I'm a big believer in brand building. Stephen, we've been talking for, for two decades about how companies will sometimes lose or break your prototype. Uh, this room is proof of that. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, well, it, yeah, it could we, get lost in here, and it's not, it's not intentional. It just happens sometimes, I think. I'm not saying you guys you, have ever lost a prototype, Rich. I'm just saying it could happen. Just to be clear, so this was a specific brainstorming session where we were cutting the heads off of, of uh, ponies and dolls and things like that that were out on the market this would not be where we would store we have a secured storage for all of our inventor items we have a system for tracking things wow. have gotten lost and broken before we um we gladly pay for uh replacements in that case but it's it's pretty rare it's locked away for legal reasons as well too because you wouldn't want it, uh, things to be open and people have access to it. So it's only available to us. That's a secret room that, um, wow. that uh, I, we will not- You guys are very professional. I, I don't think all companies can say that, Rich. I'm impressed. Uh, next question is from Megan. How, how does licensing work for games that are inspired by movies? Can inventors submit ideas based on hit movies? Absolutely. Um, so one, there's movies that we have in our 
uh, Corral, and then there's also ones that we go after. We've done things with, you know, Stranger Things. We've done lots of licensed, you know, Star Wars uh, variations. So we're more than happy to see those. Typically, when you put a license onto it, because we have to pay somebody, if we did a Star Wars game, we have to pay Lucas and Disney a, a, a chunk of money. So we also, the royalties can be a little bit less uh, for licensed items. But the counter to that is that if it's got Star Wars, you've got a certain amount of, you know, guaranteed revenue. It's, it should sell out, uh, you know, sell higher um, than just a nondescript game on the shelf. So it's a little bit of a trade-off. Yeah. Any questions, Stephen? We've got a bunch of good ones here. Yeah, what is the craziest idea you've ever seen, Rich? Ooh, I like that. Oh, I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> um, you know, it hasn't happened lately, but, you know, you, you do see inappropriate ones. You do see ones that you're just like, why am I seeing this? I've been pitched um, bra cleaners and pizza cutters before, and I'm not sure why. Um, so, you know, do your research before you talk to a company like he, even if I loved your pizza cutter, I don't I don't have anything to do with it. Um, but uh, let's see. Wildest, wildest. Um I think I'd just leave it at that, that there, okay. there are a very small percentage of people that will show inappropriate uh, content or theming and that kind of stuff. So, you know, what's really interesting, Rich, you're, you're talking uh, a lot about um, steady our business, right? Look at the type of products we're looking for. You've talked a, a little bit about the wow factor. I, I love the way you said it's like a magic trick. I really like that. Um, and also a little bit about costing, maybe a bill of material that could possibly help um, be part of the brand. I really love that you mentioned that. Um, maybe enthusiasm, how you dress, how you look, and how you present that. Some of this information has been extremely um, helpful. Um, and also the prototype. You talked about it doesn't have to be this high production, but it has to be quick. It has to show the fun. Um, don't spend a lot of money maybe on IP. Uh, this is really practical stuff. So I, I think it's just wonderful, Rich. Thank you. You know, you know to that point, um, I just, um, if you don't mind, um, was something that helped me very much when, you know, 12 years ago, I contacted David Fuhrer. He, he gave me a book, um, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have books as well, too. I'm not sure if you have them on toys, but there's a great one from Richard Levy, who was co-inventor of Furby. And um, that has a lot of good practical information because a lot of guides into industries are mm -hmm. a little bit fluff or from people that aren't active in the industry. That one has a lot of really good um, uh, information that helped me. And just a personal story that I think is cool. I highlighted everybody's name in that book and uh, your name might even be in that book or whatever. And I just like, gosh, if I ever meet these people, I've got these little nuggets of information and I made it dog-eared and I'll make notes and all that stuff. And I still have my copy. But what's amazing, it's actually available on um, Amazon Prime now for free. And um, we, uh, I'm in the latest version. So it's just amazing to come full circle that I'm actually in this book that I used as my Bible. But that, but that's a good one. I would steer clear of ones where, um, you know, certainly things uh, from you guys. Um, definitely, you know the business. You're active in the industry. I, I would just urge all inventors to do a little background 
sure. make sure that the person that's writing on the subject has actually done these deals before. Because well, if I haven't heard, heard of them, that's probably a bad sign in the toy industry. Well, you know what I really like? Um, of course, Richard Levy is very well known, and but he's still active. He's still doing it, right? So uh, I think it's really important, and he's very current, and he's still in the game, and he's got all the success behind him. So he's, you're absolutely and right. And he's a, he's, a, he's a character. We No one's ever done a really good movie about toy inventors, but as you know, we have a lot of great people, yeah. a lot of characters, a lot of people who are – uh, other things. They're, David Fuhr is the world's fastest backwards talker, and he was on Letterman and Leno <laughs> and Carson and all this stuff. Um, Wesley of Catapult uh, Concepts was the uh, youngest uh, black belt in the world at five years old. There's just so many interesting people in this world, and Richard Levy is right there at the top. He's he's kind of a caricature of himself. No, he's very kind too, and and I've I got I've um, been recently got to really know him and he's just a very um giving guy and i think his book is spectacular if anybody's interested please pick it up i, I really like this next question because it it gives uh, rich an opportunity to explain how limited they are on time and how much time they have to talk to inventor and i'd like to get your take rich so eduardo says is it possible to have an interview using zoom so when when do you when do people go to that next stage? How much time do you spend talking to the inventor? What what's practical? What should they expect? Yeah, and that's a very good question, and it's part of the reason why we uh, put um, money into developing uh, Spark uh, Hasbro because it was always frustrating for me, and I'm sure it's frustrating for inventors. They don't realize, like, if I'm in Javits at Toy Fair, I have every minute of every day already planned out. I'm probably triple booked. I'm probably late for something else. And then somebody would grab you on the way to the bathroom. And the first year at Toy Fair, you know, over 10 years ago, <clears throat> I, I, I said yes to everybody that said five minutes or whatever. And the five minutes turns into 20 minutes. I found that I didn't go to the bathroom. I didn't get food. And at the end of the day, I was just like, this is not, not sustainable. So we never want to turn anybody down because we want to see innovation from everywhere. So I would say start at um, spark.hasbro. We review those. We kind of see it doesn't even have to be the right concept um, off the beginning. We'll kind of get an idea of your mindset. I see people on the road. If I go to Shytag or one of these uh, new inventor events, I very little expectation that I'm going to walk out of there with a product that's going to go directly to market, but a high expectation that I'm going to meet some creative people, that I'm going to start discussions, we'll start talking about toys, and that something will come uh, to fruition out of that. So we're looking for people, personality, and thinking as much as we are looking for uh, that that hit. It'd be an awful lot to ask a first-time inventor to uh, come to us with the next Furby. That would be like a lottery ticket, but you win a lottery ticket that wins the lottery. Like that, that would be the, um, you know, the mathematical percentages on that. So um, I would say start with that. And then as we, as we have more conversations and, and see you more around the world or whatever, um, then you'll graduate into that, um, uh, into that more professional uh, community. If you guys could could find the questions box and type in your thank yous for Rich and Hasbro, I'd really appreciate it. We'll answer a few questions while you do that. So look for the questions box 
in the GoToWebinar control panel and type in your thank yous and what you thought about tonight. And, uh, and that, would, that would be fantastic. Um, let's see. This next question was from Lori. Do you prefer products that have Amazon sales and a good Amazon rank? You know, that's always a good thing. Um, you know, uh, sometimes most of the stuff we see is maybe not for sale yet. Um, but then when we say no, we say, well, we, you know, we're going to keep our eye on this though. But if you can prove it, it's just like that monopoly story, right? It's like, um, or, or the, or the pie face story. It's like, we said no. And then, then you, then you started blowing up and then we're like, oh, okay. Um, we're going to take another look at that. So that, that certainly can always be a positive factor. Sometimes the negative factor is if it's not in that case, if it's not protected, um, then it becomes a little bit of a challenge. We have had people that have put stuff on Kickstarter or YouTube. Great story about this guy in Germany. He put, he put this paper airplane blaster. It was this ginormous thing that he 3D printed and it took him paper in the back it folded it along the way and shot out paper airplanes. It was terrific. And it got 7 million views over, um, over the weekend. And I met up with him. I happened to be in Germany at the time. I'm like, this is terrific. And I'm like, do you have this, you know, wrapped up or whatever, or, uh, or patented? He goes, nah, he's like, I made it in my basement. I didn't think anybody would be interested. So in that case, you do have to be careful once you put it out there. Cause once you put it out on a Kickstarter, there are going to be people in China that are going to start knocking it off. So in that case would be the, the rare case. I would say, just make sure that you have your IP because if we see it, and we like it and we're going to say, oh, gosh, like the fidget spinner is a good example. Everybody was just so quick to market. And in that case, the knockoff guys were faster than the big companies and it just kills the market. Mm -hmm. Steven, we got uh, we just like one or two minutes left. Do you have anything you want to say in closing? Well, I'm just so excited, uh, Rich. Thank you very, very much for coming on. I think the information you provided it's really going to open people's eyes about how Hasbro works with inventors and how important inventors are. Um, I also want to thank um, your, your president, John, to, to let me interview him for Forbes. Um, he also gave us a kind of a glimpse on what's happening today with the coronavirus and um, that Hasbro is, is actively looking for ideas and, you are searching around the world for the next great idea from people like us. So it is, and it's wonderful too to have you know support of John Frascotti and our CEO Brian Goldner. Everybody up the chain is super supportive of our innovation efforts. So, so, so that's a big deal. I'll pass that on to John, but he's um, you know he's super supportive of of our efforts. And I'd like to thank you guys too because I was an inventor. I was looking around, the same thing that everybody is. It's like, should I manufacture it? How do I get it prototyped? How do I come up with a sketch or whatever? And as you know, there are a lot of people that can take you down the wrong path. And so I appreciate very much that you guys are out there. You're doing a great service uh, for inventors, you know, teaching them the right way to do it. You're giving them the right um, feedback. You're not, um, there, there are companies out there that'll convince people to spend tons and tons of money on IP and, and fancy brochures and stuff like that. And hopefully we busted that myth a little bit today. Yeah, thank you. you, you absolutely Rich, I found that, that um, inventors are very, very passionate. And I think uh, the average toy inventor even takes it to the next level. Um, does, that, does that fuel you 
Have that fueled you over the years? Do you, do you sense that passion from inventors? Do you enjoy that? Yeah, I've always loved people that have passion for anything. Like you could have passion for cricket or something like that. And I'd want to talk to you because it's like, I, I want to hear like why you think cricket is the, the best game in the world or whatever. So passion definitely <laughs> helps. I, I just, the only time, and it doesn't happen very often, you know, people always think that you're going to meet, you know, crazy inventors. It doesn't happen very often. But there are the cases where people are way too tied to their concept. It's the only concept they had in their life, and it was they came up with it 20 years ago, and they mortgaged mm -hmm. their house, and all of those are red flags. But as long as you're honing that enthusiasm um, into creativity, you'll find that people like me, people inside of Hasbro, other inventors – are kind of like your kindred spirits, right? We're all we're all just um, idea guys, and and our brains are constantly moving. So I'll I'll read a few of these. We have an ungodly amount of thank yous, and um, I don't have a chance to read them all ahead of time, so I'll just oh, read terrific. a few of them for you, Rich. Um, speaking about people passionate about you helping, Edmund, uh, phenomenal webinar. So much great information. Uh, much. Mahalos. He's from Hawaii. I know Edmund. Uh, nice. Um, Ritz, Stephen, and Andrew. Um, Teresa says, thank you so much for being open to new ideas. Uh, Zelia, thank you so much. Not only was this informative, it was inspiring as well. I appreciate you guys. Um, Melissa, thanks for putting on this webinar. It's been highly informative. I just made, I just made redundant this week a moose toys and this webinar has just given me a spark to continue my passion within the toy industry. So thank you. Um, Maria, Rich, you are awesome. Thank you for taking the time to come on the InventRight webinar. There's just like, there's literally like, like 200 thank yous in here. I can't read them all. But, wow, that's really nice. That, that yeah, sounds like a great, great group here. I, 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 I'm glad I got to read a few of them. Um, we're going to send them to you. Okay, Rich? We're going to send all these yeah, things. Yeah. That's, that sounds terrific. Thanks, guys. And I look forward to seeing you guys around the world. I can't believe we must have been in the same room multiple times and just not known it. So next time we're someplace on the globe together, let's 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 definitely uh, meet up in person. All right. Thank you very much, Rich, for coming on. Thank you, Rich. Everybody take no care. Problem. Keep inventing and we'll catch up with you next time. Good night. All right. Take care. Good night, everybody.